Welcome to Before You Swipe. I'm Dr. Lauren. And I'm Dr. Chris. We're two sex educators and research nerds who love talking about sex and relationships. This has been an online dating podcast where we overanalyze profiles and read between the pickup lines. However, in this episode, we're switching it up to take a step back and consider how we make sense of ourselves and relationships. And when we say relationships, we include sexual, romantic, platonic, and more. So before we even open the apps, let's get into the beautiful mess of human connection. All right, thanks for joining us for season six of Before You Swipe. I'm Dr. Lauren. And I'm Dr. Chris. And we are continuing our conversation from last season on Andy Nordgren's Nine Principles of Relationship Anarchy. Last time we talked about cheating and infidelity, but today we're going to go a little bigger. We want to take some space to talk about the rules that have been fed to us and how we can or may already be breaking them. So, but first it feels like we need to establish what are those rules that tend to guide most of our um, romantic, sexual, the one relationships. So Chris, I wonder if you would summarize for, for folks, the relationship escalator. Yeah, sure. So the relationship escalator, it's, we're not sure where its origins were, but um, uh, a person named, uh, last name is Gershon, is the one who sort of set it on the map. Although she herself says, I did not invent this, but she sort of solidified it. So want to give credit where credit is due and recognize that even she is like, I don't know where really this originated from. I've tried to find it, but She's the one who wrote the actual book about it. <laughs> so um, in terms of relationship escalators, uh, this is these rules are sort of the ones that relationship anarchy often butts up against or challenges. So um, what it is, is you get on this escalator that has the steps and then you, you never get off of it. You just sort of stay on it. And if you do actually get off it though, that just means the relationship failed. And we've talked right. about this idea that we don't like the term failed relationship. We prefer changed or just shifting or something like that. Mm -hmm. So to get on the relationship escalator, first you need to make some contact, you know, with somebody you flirt or you go on a couple dates with them or something like that. Maybe there's a little bit of sex involved in that in the beginning, but definitely that shifts then into the next phase. After you make contact, you initiate. So that means you really start to get dating or you know, maybe fall in love, you get that emotional investment. And then the third step uh, is you start to, these terms are so not relationship anarchy, it's awesome. It's, <laughs> the third step is claiming and defining. So okay. it's very much like presenting yourself in public as a couple, you become an us, um, oh, what's some other things, right? Like it's all these things, like you get your labels um, and with that comes certain expectations uh, or you can make explicit agreements, that is pro-relationship anarchy to make the explicit agreements for yeah. some sort of um, sexual and romantic connection. However, in relationship, uh, relationship escalator land, it's, uh, it's really focused on exclusivity. So right. there's that. And so now that you've claimed and you've defined, the next step is you is establishment. So you get into your rhythm, you... Uh, the one of the phrases that I got from the relationship escalator is establishment adapting the rhythms of your life to accommodate each other on an ongoing basis. So it's very yep. much like doing that, that and then you start commitment. That's the next phase where you're starting to plan your long term future together. 
then you merge and that one i think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about but merging which is when you move in together share your home your finances get engaged or whatever the equivalent of that is and then um, you get the conclusion which is essentially getting married um, having kids not always but you know people like it when couples have babies um, and then, so the relationship is now finalized, and this is another piece that is very not relationship anarchy. And it's quote unquote, its structure, i.e. the relationship structure, is expected to remain static until one partner dies. Oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dying right now. Okay, keep going. You've got one more. You've got one oh, more. Oh yeah, and then it's legacy, which is basically having your your stuff, your like, what are you leaving behind? Do you have property? What are your kids like? All that stuff. So that's a legacy, but conclusions really, <laughs> I mean, how do you have a step after until one partner dies? I'm not entirely sure, but um, so there oh, you go. They couldn't like, they couldn't omit capitalism, right? You have to have property yeah. that you're handing down as part of your legacy, like the pressure right. of like white, middle, upper, middle, blah, 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 chasing, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Yikes. So at any rate, those are the steps. So in sum, making contact, initiating, claiming and defining your relationship, establishing it, commitment, merging, conclusion, aka death. Never change until someone dies. <laughs> Never change until someone dies. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, we've talked about this concept a lot. I, you know, it both in, in, on the podcast together outside of the podcast. Also, it's something I share with my students and my classes. Every time I look at it, there's the pieces of it that I go, that's fine. If you just cut off a couple of those words that they added, right? Like some mm -hmm. of these things are great. Figuring out the rhythms of your lives but maybe not to like completely accommodate, right? Someone shouldn't have to squash parts of their lives to, to fit yeah. together. Anyway, whatever, I could, I could probably go through each one of these at length and just go, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Um, but I think, so when we talk about, you know, how, one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode, we were talking a lot about how it can sound like relationship anarchy is some complete radical revolutionary way of relating. And in fact, we believe that a lot of folks are already doing some of these practices. Yes, we can point to um, more dramatic cases, but we believe a lot of folks are probably infusing some of these values and principles and practices in their lives already. And so we hope that by talking through some of those similarities um, or perhaps overlapping practices, it will help people feel a little more expansive when we're talking about relationship anarchy. Yeah. So yeah, as some people, like as I was going through these steps, some of, you know, some people listening, you know, you might be like, oh yeah, no, I do that, or I don't do that, or I don't want to do that, right? Like those kinds of things. So pieces of the escalator, I'm sure resonate with you and certain aspects of the escalator may not resonate with you. I mean, so, I mean, you know, we have to make contact. If we don't make contact, like none of this happens. So, you know, no matter what happens. I was about to interrupt you and be like, that's the beginning of our podcast. The first like four seasons or whatever, we're all about the whole process of making contact through right. online dating. So right. there you go. Totally we're big fans that. of the whole making contact. And it's funny because I'm like, wait, where I love that making contact versus initiation that sort of cracks me up that it's like sex, possibly. <laughs> and then initiation is the romantic thing gets introduced. So like, I just anyway. Yeah. 
contact exactly. did our genitals touch that's just contact if there's no romantic gesture that's just contact okay yeah yep. oh boy so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so were there others that stood out to you as you were talking through Yeah, that? I mean, the one piece that I think where a lot of examples that I can draw from my own experiences and the experiences of a lot of friends of mine or just people I know is really this concept of like the merging piece that I think there's a lot of different ways that merging is and is not happening these days. So, you know, as people couple up, and this is just data in general about when people make formal commitments. So that's another one. But if they're doing things like, you know, finances, for example, a lot of people will have their finances already pretty well established before they enter some kind of um, relationship dynamic. And so a lot of people keep their finances separate. Yep. And so there's that component. I also have a couple of very good friends that I think I've mentioned in previous episodes, but um, that have been together for decades and don't move in together because of their different levels of messiness and their right. different levels of how they want to like keep their homes. And okay. they, you know, I know that they get pressure and I know they get questions about like, well, when are you guys going to move in together? And the answer is never. <laughs> like, have you seen that person's house? Like, nope. <laughs> like I'm not going to do that. So, and, well, and, and they're solid couples. That's, and it's fine, you know, and it's fine. It's working for them. Well, and I think the big, the big piece here that we don't talk enough about in especially U.S. culture around relationships, the idea that you have to merge, the idea that you have to become an us, going back to the claiming and defining, the ways we construct that, it's always building on some kind of sacrifice. And if we're in a heteronormative, you know, or heterosexual relationship, there's often pressure on one person, you know, one gender to sacrifice more or to fit under the other because thanks patriarchy. Um, but there's this, I, I don't, the, the, the pressure to lose part of yourself, lose your independence. Think about what art you have to like put in storage because you live with someone else. If you're, if you have the means and the desire to hold space for you to feel like you have claim and can be your expansive personality, share that with other people without negotiating something, there is nothing wrong with that. And it actually can make us richer in how we connect with people we care about, right? It gives us mm -hmm. really clear space, really clear, clear commitments of, hey, on this date, like, I'd love to invite you over and make you dinner or whatever it, I mean, I would never offer to make someone dinner, but I hear people do mm -hmm. that. <laughs> um, but like those intentional moments that to me, that's way more about commitment. And um, there's a way of defining the, the, the relationship in a way that I, I think is beautiful and rather than restrictive, right? So we're mm -hmm. saying, on this day, we are on a date together and I'm so excited to see you, but it might be two weeks from now, right? And and again, that wouldn't work for everyone, but anyway, yeah. that's something. But it's I like. also the idea of like, how do we define closeness? And so this yes. escalator defines closeness as merging and this form of formal commitment, formal legal commitment. Mm -hmm. And whereas closeness might be like you as somebody who doesn't cook, maybe you are going to demonstrate how close you feel to somebody by learning what someone's favorite meal is or a meal they like and tr like learning how to cook it or trying yeah. to do that or finding their favorite space or place 
and you know planning a date around that right like that can define closeness or me learning how to sing someone's favorite song right like those are the kinds of things that can define a beautiful level of closeness that doesn't involve this official merging so well and this shifts i think also to talking about like what relationships deserve closeness i think if we turn our attention to maybe the way we establish closeness with dear friends or for some folks who have really close family relationships like biological family for example or or family that raised you um or chosen family what are the things we do in those contexts to deepen bonds show care all of those things and again so often we are doing those things we do have those special ties and things um anniversaries we share with friends or whatever it may be or you know a recurring trip people take that they're committed to so there are things that we're already doing in our lives it's just how well do we value them and how do we take notice of them do we do we make room in our hearts and in our our time you know the limited time um to make sure we're protecting and preserving honoring witnessing all those important expressions of like am I noticing that this is happening or it, do I let my friendships just sort of happen around me? Like mm -hmm. what's the investment I'm putting in versus the intentionality. And I think I believe, and I think a relationship anarchy stands by this, that we have such capacity for richness, for value, for growth, when we don't only anchor the merging to one context. And when you use yeah. the example of learning to sing someone's song, like I'll, I immediately, I, I don't know if it'll pick up in the recording, but I squealed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I remember you telling me when you would be working on a song for a competition that made you think of me. Yeah. And, and like, I it's would still cry. too hard. What's that? <laughs> it's still too vocally challenging for me. It's not I ready mean, for prime time. It's not ready for prime time. I mean, honestly, that feels a little appropriate. I can be a challenging person to be friends with. So, you know, it's a little fitting. It's got to be something challenging. <laughs> right. But, you know, like that's, that is an act of love and feeling seen and feeling the ways I'm in your world, even when I'm not physically there or we're not in the middle of texting or recording, right? You know, and it's just, that is special and I hate the idea that people have been socialized into a world that we're not I don't know we're not inviting that into our lives all over the place like why not do that with lots of people why not experience that kind of specialness if that means something to you some folks really are not into you know rituals or symbolism or any of that stuff and that's totally fine yeah. I am. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about those things as very valued. And I love doing them with friends and romantic or sexual folks, family members. Like, yeah, it matters. Yeah. And also, I think the, the piece where I bet a lot of people out there um, also don't really fit into this relationship escalator as we're sort of talking. I mean, we're kind of dancing around it, but this idea of the conclusion <laughs> which is essentially like this idea that the, the the relationship structure is expected to remain static until someone dies which which is just really weird too because especially many and i i mean most i'll just say most because it, it, it's true but most long-term uh sort of se uh sexual commitments or marriages and things like that involve also children of some sort yeah and so the idea of raising like the like getting married is the conclusion and then kids is after sometimes because sometimes of course kids happen before a marriage sure. 
but or never with a marriage but like it's just like what do you mean like as the kids get older by definition the relationship changes like i mean as a non-parent i even know that the relationship is very different when the kid is like super tiny and no one's sleeping and then the kids you know getting older and then their school age but now the kid might be able to be old enough to like be left on their own that can change the dynamic and then when the kids like possibly don't like leave the house to yep. pursue other you know other life paths or whatever like how is the relationship not changing i mean the well, structure is static it's like okay you maybe you're still married but like what else about the structure of that relationship stays the same it's just such a bizarre concept well and i mean we can again also imagine if these are lifelong commitments that we're talking about which is lovely and those can be all types of relationships but given this model if it's lifelong people in theory have the opportunity to retire from their jobs which means their entire time changes their financial status might change also when they retire you know or are forced yeah. to retire whatever it is right there's so many facets that demand restructuring right our lives as individuals have things that impact them it could be a health issue it could be all sorts of things and if we go into relationships believing they have to look one way and that's what success is that we we work hard to establish the right structure for us that will last forever it's like what the fuck like also that sounds so boring to me I don't right know. like what why why i want to grow i want it to be dynamic i want to keep questioning like everything we're doing and maybe that sounds exhausting to some people and again that's okay <laughs> yeah um and sure for some folks feeling like you're maybe they would want to modify to say like there's some stable elements and you know it's like more gentle adjusting fine <laughs> yeah but still that's not what this is about that this is really um wanting people to think in in pretty rigid ways about this is the way the relationship functions and yeah that's just not realistic that's not human <laughs> yeah and i like the fact that you brought up the health issue as well because there's different there's different health conditions that can really alter how what a relationship looks like and how it exists like does someone become a caregiver um either for the duration of the relationship or you know temporarily as yeah. someone goes through a very intensive treatment or something like that and to show that these things or sadly um i know in the us a lot that sometimes having certain types of mergings of finances and things actually is detrimental to um to caring for somebody with a, a health condition that costs a lot of money right right like i don't even know if i mean this isn't interesting i just thought of this now like do people i'm sure they do do people get divorced or something because so they don't diagnosis. yeah mm -hmm. yeah like so they don't both of them don't go bankrupt paying for health care again like yeah the us is kind of an evil place capitalism is awful um so this is yeah these are these are very real concerns and we don't talk it's like it's almost as though the relationship escalator you know exists in some la la land fantasy where the world is just, everyone has an income, everyone has a home, everyone has access to healthcare. And it's like, that is not what's happening. And so even, right. even, I mean, between the two of us, we know loads of people who have gotten married. So someone and who are friends who are not dating, 
to get access to healthcare. Like, I, I feel like there's all these ways that people are very smartly, they're not gaming the system because we're all given one extra person. So choose however you will what, who your one extra person is. But I just, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, there's the real tension between what really is happening in our world and how do we need to have far more flexibility. And along with that, not feeling like you're alone, right? Those caregivers, the financial costs, whatever it is, if we reimagine our relationships the same way people will bring food, right? Someone has a baby and a whole crew of people, like they schedule who's dropping off meals or send you meals now that we have delivery and all that stuff. Um, So there are things we're already doing for each other at key strategic moments, a death, illness, babies, whatever. Um, And so I think those are, again, where we're kind of breaking the rule. And what if we expanded that? What if we thought more um, about, okay, well, we could rotate having meals together to deepen relationships with lots of folks, like with our friends, Um, just someone's experiencing stress and is like, hey, I could really use a hookup on some food to help like lighten my load. And just to have that be a normal thing, we ask of people who are our close ties. And it's not reserved for the person you may have a sexual or romantic tie to, or that you're even married to. I just, I, I, there's so much we lose by not yeah. having those, those doors open. Yeah, I mean, and it is, it's much more common in some of the examples you gave, for example, it's much more common when someone has a very serious diagnosis or, or just has a child or something like that to help with like the meal plans and things like that. And I find it's, but it's less common in some, like for who drives the person to appointments, right. or who visits them in the hospital or something like that. So there are certain pieces of that caregiving that are more sanctioned, I guess, in sort of the way society says, okay, these are how we help people, but this is less so how we help people. And having those rules, like there's no reason for those. I was reading a few weeks ago, I guess, uh, an article in the New York Times about a person whose spouse was diagnosed with cancer and they lived in a sort of a shared housing situation called the Radish in Oakland and how when the partner got diagnosed um, with cancer it wasn't all hands on deck in this expanded family situation where many people were driving this person to appointments and they had this sort of schedule as if they were like you know as if they were they were a large family they just weren't biologically or legally related um all together but they certainly were living as if they were all in a large commitment to supporting each other um so yeah i mean it's so beautiful to me like you know we can talk about so many models that are out there trying to encourage us to to you know get away from these logics and create more supportive networks and i like part of what i keep thinking about you know as someone who doesn't have a single close tie i'm like man if i get sick a what can i count on you know, who would show up, how would I get help? So that's terrifying. But also I'm like, if I did have one person who I was relying on and I get sick and then they're the one, the only person who's doing that work, personally, I would feel like a burden to them. And so in the model you're describing, it's a shared load of stress because taking people to their chemo treatment, for example, is heavy and hard. 
and you know being in those spaces and supporting someone or while they get you know complicated news from doctors and holding that energy with them having all of that go to one person is just an extraordinary um burden is a lousy word but i can't think of another one right now it's a lot of energy and if you can disperse that and have it be a shared collective supporting each other and holding all of that in the same space together or at different times or whatever, but just everyone's holding it together. I just, we have a lot more capacity than to weather um, things together and, and move mm-hmm. through things with more strength, with less disruption and a less sense of I'm a burden for the person who's sick. Yeah. And to like, yeah, it, even not just with sick stuff i'm gonna do it in a little bit more joyful so here's where i think like just i kind of put two and two together today like where my family kind of practiced a little bit of sort of a relationship anarchy is when i was a kid we um we meaning me and like maybe five families um i can't remember like a lot of families we'd all vacation together so we would and i think that helped with so it's First of all, we're splitting costs. So we would rent these two, sometimes one, but often two huge houses. We would, first of all, we'd do this road trip. So we would all get into various cars, drive down for eight hours from New Jersey to North Carolina or wherever. It was probably, maybe it wasn't eight hours. I think it was, but also it felt like 500 when you're a kid. So (laughs) like we would take this and we got CB radios and we would talk to each other on the CB radios to decide when to talk. We all had our little handles. It was really funny. And so, and then we would get to the houses and it was shared everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we shared meal plans, we shared food. The older kids, sorry, older kids, like had to sort of like kind of looked after the younger kids while the parents rested and we all played together and we did all this stuff like in these big group vacations where everything was shared but in like because it was but it was a more positive celebratory way to do that and so like those were the that would those were my family vacations or like on a smaller scale um like one of my closest friends in um and in grammar school and in high school too sometimes she'd come with me on these vacations or i would just go to I would be on her family vacation, like, or I even went to her family reunions too. So like, there was just that too, too. But like, there's this, this shared thing of like, hey, kids, like, you're all like, let's all lump you together so you can entertain each other. And yeah. so the adults then can go hang out with themselves and have this sort of fun in this very expanded kind of family model that as somebody who has a very small family, none of which lived in the United States, except for like my parents and sibling, like yeah. that's, you know, like that, we didn't have a big family. So some people do this in the same way, like um, someone I'm very close to right now, he has lots and lots of cousins. So like, they, like so it's a biological yeah. connection, but in our case, it was a non-biological connection, but the concept was still the same. Yeah, right. So there's ways we can you know, save on costs, increase delight, share stress frankly right so parenting is hard oh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know you can rotate who's the heavy create house rules all of that stuff which can be just so helpful um and not one person is planning everything right so when we think about the stress of coordination and you know as a single parent every plan we have comes from me 
it's exhausting, you know, and I, I love making plans for me and my kiddo, but what I wouldn't give to have someone else sharing that with me. And when I get that, when friends make plans and, you know, I have a couple of folks that we go camping with pretty regularly, it's, it's an, it's an incredible change. It's a, an incredible change in how I feel, how my kiddo feels. And what if we made that a priority? You know, what if that was, instead of a relationship escalator, what if it was this vision of creating these networks and protecting them? And again, we're both talking, uh, you know, you're describing, I'm describing some moments where that's actually happening. And so I think I would guess that even if people are not already doing it, they probably have folks they can turn to and say, oh yeah, I do see that going on over there. And so this is this opportunity Again, you don't have to call it relationship anarchy, but you can just say, hey, I'd really love to prioritize these kinds of connections, these kinds of activities together. What are the rhythms of your family's life? What are the rhythms of my family's life? And where are our points of overlap, intersection, and the kinds of care we wanna experience? Oh my God, if we actually did that, if I, I mean, I would, it'd be, oh my gosh, I would just be like, can we now have a cuddle puddle and just like everybody right. snuggle? <laughs> yeah. And also like it, it's, you know, again, like the sort of purpose of what, why we wanted to have this conversation was to say like, if relationship anarchy sounds like something that's totally different than anything you've ever been used to, we just provided like all these myriads of examples where you're like, oh no, I do that like I have been a person who's helped coordinate you know like the meal plan when somebody's just had a child or someone's going through a very serious medical treatment or oh yeah we do these kinds of group vacation things or oh yeah I don't merge my finances with somebody I'm very deeply tied to or you know I live with a roommate as opposed to like a significant other or what, you know, for whatever reason, it could be for values, it could be for logistics, it could be whatever, right? Like there's ways that we are always sort of challenging this concept of the relationship escalator and, you know, embracing these ways of, you know, principles of relationship anarchy. I mean, one of them is that imagine it, right? So we've given you all these options. So um, for us, it's imagine it and practice, practice, practice. It's like finding your relationship values. It's showing how abundant love can be. Like there's all these different ways. And I don't know if any of these are coming, customizing your commitments, right? Because you have different ways that you're showing up for each other. These are all the things that might be happening in your everyday life and you're just not necessarily reflecting on them purposefully. And right, so we wanna invite folks to identify those, identify where they're happening, celebrate them, and then look for, are there others? Are there things that you've just not asked for, not considered, haven't imagined yet? Um, and what can you dream up that might enhance your lived experience? Cause that's what this is all, all about, right? Whether it's individual growth or, um, growth through relationships, whatever, right? This is the gift. This is the goal is to create more opportunity to dream, to, to access the kinds of lives we want to live. And, and I do want to acknowledge, right? This can be scary, right? So we yeah. say, don't let fear lead you. It doesn't mean fear's not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I, I, when I've asked some friends, I mean, I feel very sheepish about being like, hi, could we make plans like as families? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it feels scarier to me, frankly, than asking someone to have sex. I'm like, meh, that's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but wanting to travel together is a huge deal. Um, yeah. And so I think 
allowing ourselves to recognize that those are big deals and it's okay. And again, the way we put high stakes and nervousness around the relationship escalator, those feelings might show up in some of these other practices and it's okay. And we can, we can get past the fear and, and, um, and find our way through. And it, again, might not work out every time you try to merge with people in you know, loving ways that might not fit with other people's lives. And again, it's okay. We can keep finding our way through. Yeah. All right. Well, that was great. That was Yay. fun. That was fun. I love dreaming these ways. Well, yeah. hopefully it was fun for folks listening and we're happy you're on this journey with us. So we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to Before You Swipe. If you want to send us your thoughts on sexual, romantic, and or platonic relationships, please email us at beforeyouswipe at gmail.com. That's the letter B, the number four, the letter U, swipe at gmail. Or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Before You Swipe. Thanks to Hamid Khalid 786 on Pixabay for our fabulous funky beats.